0: go ahead and grab a seat welcome to northridge church it's good to be with all of you whether you're joining with us online or you are at one of our in-person services and i don't know about you but man i i just love that song right that's a it's what we call an oldie but a goodie right and what's so amazing about that song is just the the riches and the depth and the truth of the words that we sang, right? The beat doesn't make the song. It's the truth behind the words that we sing, right? And, and, and if you look at that song lyrically, it starts out with this phrase. It says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And, and if you weren't with us last week, we're, we're doing something unique, just a two-week series on grace. We're calling it Grace Anatomy and, and, and last week, we, we talked about those words, the sweetness of God's grace, and how it should really impact our lives and in every nook and every cranny. We talked about how influential and how impactful grace is. And we said grace is the greatest gift you could ever receive that you, you can't earn and you don't deserve. Right? That, that's what's so sweet about grace is it's God's greatest gift to all of humanity. And what makes it sweet is that you can't achieve it on your own. Right? You can't work towards grace. You can't be good enough to achieve God's grace. You can't purchase it or buy it, and yet you're not worthy of it. It's a gift you didn't deserve. And last week we explored God's grace and, and what it is and how it hits us in our everyday lives. And I want to go back to that original question before we get too far into giving grace, because I think it's foundational to understand why you and why I need grace. And we see it in the lyrics of that song, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, right? And we don't use that word wretch very often. Like when we get mad at people, we aren't like, yo, you wretch, a <laughs> bunch of wretches around here. But a wretch means you're not a good person, right? You're you're not good. And here's what I'm convinced of today, that that many of us aren't convinced that we are wretches. We walk around like, I'm a good person, right? I I, I do good, right? I'm not a wretch as long as my good outweighs my bad. And we're not convinced yet that, that we fully need grace because we aren't convinced we're truly that bad. But the Bible actually teaches the opposite of that. Romans, as the Apostle Paul teaches the church in Rome, look what he says in verse 12 of chapter 3. He says, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So the Apostle Paul says, in our sinful nature, we're not good. There's not one person born into this world other than Jesus who was good. Eight verses later, he continues, he says, because of that, or therefore, no one will be declared righteous in right standing with God, in God's sight by the works of the law, rather though through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And so the apostle Paul teaches, he says, because we're not good, we're not we're not in right standing within God's sight based off of what we do. What he's saying is you can't achieve the, uh, 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 an amount of goodness that will somehow shift your standing with God. But the law or this list of rules that we must follow, all it does is it makes us aware that we constantly fall short of God's standard of perfection. And then he sums it up in three verses later. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, a.k.a. we're all wretches. But then he says, and all are justified. So we're made right, freely, so at no cost to you, by what? By his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Right, through Jesus' sacrifice on that cross and his resurrection, we are justified with God through his grace. Although we're wretches, God pours his grace out on us freely. And here's why it's so important to understand why we need grace. Because you're not going to give grace until you realize that you needed grace. Right? You're not going to naturally, just in life, give grace if you don't think you first needed grace. And so we have to understand fundamentally that we needed the grace of God, and out of His grace, we are supposed to give it to others, because you're not going to unless you realize that you are in desperate need of it. And so today, as we bring this series to an end, we're going to shift gears from understanding grace to now becoming a, a people who give grace to people who don't deserve it, right? That's essential to grace. Maybe one of the hardest things to do with grace is to actually give it. Because we all have moments like this in our life, right? Like my wife who was just, you know, having a normal day. She was driving her car and she realized it's, it's, it's getting low on gas. And so she pulled into a gas station and she gets out of her car and, you know, she puts her card in and she starts pumping gas. And as she's pumping gas, she's on the phone with her mother just having, you know, catch up with mom, just hanging out on the phone. And then two pumps over, there's this lady who... I'm not sure what was happening, what her problem was, but she looks over and she begins to yell at my wife. Get off the phone. No one wants to hear your conversation. You see, it's in moments like that or maybe in work, right, where you're at work and your boss calls you out and in, in front of all your other coworkers, or your kids talk back to you, or your retirement—it's it's, when your retirement's not going well. It's it's in moments like that where people are difficult that we need to be reminded that we were given grace, so we can give grace to others. And so let's start logically with that question: Why should I give grace? right? If God's given me grace, why why am I called to give it to other people? I think the reason we give it is because we got it, right? The reason why we give grace to others is because we've experienced the grace of God. And when you think about Christianity, right, when you think about following Jesus, you think about Northridge Church. If you're new to Northridge Church, our mission here, our aim, what we want to achieve is simple. We say it like this, more and better, we want to be a church that is reaching more disciples of Jesus Christ and growing better disciples of Jesus Christ. And, and that can be kind of maybe confusing, right? We try to keep it simple, but ultimately what that means, our aim as a church is to introduce, introduce Jesus and his grace to people who are far from God and then help them look like Jesus, that's, that's ultimately, it's that simple. We want people who don't know God's grace to receive it, to grow in it, and ultimately just imitate Jesus, to look more like him. That's what it means to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to following Jesus, why do we do anything that we do? Well, because Jesus did it first, right? Let's talk about love, right? We're called to, to love others. Why do we do that? Well, John 15 makes it very clear. My command is this, love each other, why, as I have loved you. The reason why we love others is because we were first loved by Christ. Okay, let's talk about forgiveness, right? Ephesians 4, it says, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The reason why we choose forgiveness is because we were forgiven by God. Suffering, right? 1 Peter says, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example. And here's what it says, that you should follow in his steps. That's what it means to be a mature Christian, is I'm just looking more like Jesus. I'm loving like he loved. I'm forgiving and I'm suffering as he has. The standard for Christian behavior, what we should look like is Jesus. And the reason why we give God's grace is because he first gave it to us. And so the first step the very first step, if you're here today and you're like, man, I want to be a gracious person. I want to give grace to people. The very first step in that journey is to receive God's grace and allow it to take effect in your life. To to allow grace to change some things about you, every nook and cranny. And we talked about that last week. If you missed it, go back and watch it. But look what it says, Ephesians 4. It says, but to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So God has already given you his grace. It's just a question of have you received it or not. And the first step of giving it to others is allowing that grace that God has given you to change and mold and make you to the person God wants you to. And the whole point of that, the whole reason why that's the first step is because grace's outcome in your life and in my life is to overflow to others. Right? The very purpose of allowing grace to take some roots in your heart and in your life is so out of that, it will go and overflow to each and every person you interact with. Right? We give it because we've got it, and it overflows out of us. Now, here's a question. What's maybe the first thing grace does in my life? When, when I choose to surrender my life to, to Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for me, when he redeems me and brings me back into right standing with God, what does grace do actively in my life? And I think the very first outcome of grace received in your life is this word called humility. Right? Grace's first outcome is, is humility, where God's grace actually destroys and conquers the pride that we all struggle with. Because it's it's so easy and so natural for all of us to be so self-focused, so self-centered. That's just who we are. We often think about us. That's just, that's natural to all of us. I'm, I'm not picking on anybody, that's who we are. And pride cannot coexist in a person with a true understanding of God's grace. That's why in James chapter four, it says, this is why the scriptures say, God opposes the proud. But shows favor to the humble. So we see a couple things in this verse. One, God opposes proud people. that should be a warning for all of us like, hey, if I'm living in this mentality where all I care about is me and my opinions and, and my rights, God opposes that type of person. But He actually says, I, I show favor. Let's stop there in that verse. You, you realize that that word favor is actually the original word. Remember, we learned about it last week, charis in the New Testament, grace. That's actually the word grace. It actually reads in the original language, God shows grace to the humble. And perhaps when we receive God's grace in our lives, the very very first and maybe most influential thing that God's grace does in our life is it humbles us. It makes us see more than just us. It actually removes you from the equation so you can see people differently. And when we are humbled by God's grace, we realize this. Grace was given to be given. I don't miss this. It's so simple, but it's so obvious I think we can miss it. That the very reason God gave you grace is so that you would take that grace and you would give it to somebody else. God gave you grace to redeem you and that you would take that same redemption and you would share it with the world. We were never intended as Christ followers to be the dead ends of God's gifts. No matter whether it's grace, love, mercy, forgiveness, those are not supposed to stop with us. And yet, so many times they do, right? We, we hoard God's gifts. Oh, God, thank you for your love. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. I'm just going to hold on to this. That's not the purpose of it. The reason God gave you those gifts is so that you would share them. Instead of being dead ends, we're supposed to be detours. So it doesn't stop with us. We actually reflect it. To, to, we show people the, 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 the correct route to take. And So really what that leads us to is this question. How do we give grace? Right? How do I practically every day in in work and in my home and with my kids and, and, and whatever you do in life, in your classroom, at your job, how do I learn every day practically to give grace? If God wants me to share his grace, how do I do that? And I think this is where we have to lean in a little bit. Because I think the most alarming thing about 2020 wasn't a virus. It wasn't social unrest. I think the most alarming thing in 2020 was to watch Christians trade in God's grace for their personal opinions. I've watched Christians trade in God's grace for angst and bitterness and anger rather than sharing the very gift, the greatest gift that God has ever given them. We, it's almost like we, we, we for, we've forgotten God's grace in the journey when life gets difficult. And the very thing we should cling to when life gets hard is the grace of God. And so how do we do that? How do we share that practically? And that's really what I want to spend the majority of my time talking about. How do we give grace practically? And I think the first step in that journey is the hardest one. Because the first step of giving people grace, you actually, I have to, actually get over ourselves. You have to get over you, and I have to get over me. This is hard to say, but the greatest stumbling block for you giving grace to people is you. It's you. It's me in my life. Because... If we're honest, I care about my feelings, and I care about my opinions, and I care about my rights. And and, and I'm like, wait, you're telling me I got to remove those from the equation? You're telling me I got to get me out of the way to think about others? Yeah, you do. And that's hard to do, I'll be honest. And I love this moment that Jesus has uh, in in, in the Gospels with his disciples. I call it uh, a DTR moment, define the relationship moment. And we have these in all kinds of relationships in our life. I think specifically about dating. Maybe you're here and you're you're in a dating relationship. And there comes a certain point in in a dating relationship. Maybe it's at like six months or a year. depends on the relationship and how serious it is. But maybe you're dating. You've been dating for a while, right? There comes a moment where you have to look at your boyfriend or your girlfriend and ask the question, what is this? Right? Like, what are we doing here? Are we, are we having fun? Are we, we getting married? Like, where is this going? Because if you never have that moment, what happens is three years later, you, you, you find yourself in the same spot you were in six months. You got to have those questions. You got to ask, like, what is this? And I think it's really important in Christianity to do the same thing with God. Like, hey, God, where am I in my relationship with God? Because if we never ask the question, where are you, you'll never get to where you're going. So Jesus has this moment with his disciples where he's like, hey, I'm going to define the relationship for you. You see it in Matthew chapter 16. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, do you see how weird that start is? Don't miss this, right? Jesus is talking to his disciples. So they're labeled as disciples. They're following Jesus. He looks at him. He says, hey, if you want to be my disciple. Hey, well, hold on. I thought we we were your disciples, Jesus. wait. What's happening here? And here Jesus is defining the relationship for them. He's saying, guys, you claim to follow me. You you signed up to be in this journey, but right now I'm going to give you an out. I'm going to give you a chance to get off the boat because I I want you to understand what it really means to actually follow me. He's going to define for them what a disciple truly is, and then he's basically going to give them the option to bail or stay on course. So he says, hey, I get it, you're my disciples, but if you want to truly be my disciple, the next word comes in, it's must. Okay, so dang, come on, Jesus, right? Must, seriously? Like, couldn't we just say, you know, you sometimes. You wanna do this, you don't have to do this, but you wanna do this. No, he says, you must do this. And then the next two words, he says, deny. Yourself, myself, themselves, deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. And don't miss the order of that. I think these first two words, deny themselves, deny yourself, are very strategic because Jesus knew he would lose a lot of people, right, with those two words. Wait, you're you're telling me if I want to follow Jesus, it's not about me? No, it never has been and it never will be. But yet often Christians make it all about them. And that's when we lose sight of grace. That's when we stop giving grace is when we make everything else around us about us and our opinions. And guess what we saw a lot of in 2020? Christians making it about them. And we lose sight of grace. Jesus says to his disciples, you want to follow me? Get over you. Get over yourself. And the biggest stumbling block to giving grace is me and it is you. And so practically, what does that look like? To get over yourself. I want to give you three ways. I think when you get over yourself, it enables you to give people the benefit of the doubt. Right? When you are not in the equation, it allows you to to not make quick, quick judgment calls. Here's what I've learned about grace as I've studied it and I've studied it, is grace is actually slow. Grace is patient. Grace doesn't assume things, it understands things. Grace isn't quick to respond or quick to say something. Grace often takes its time. And, and in life, when someone makes a decision or someone chooses an action step, When we watch it and we don't fully understand it, here's what happens, is it creates a gap. We've all experienced this in life where someone in our life makes a decision or someone chooses to do something and we watch it take place. We we have to hear that decision and we don't know all the details. What often happens in our minds is it creates this gap. This gap of lack of understanding, this gap of like, hey, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that or if I like that, it creates a gap. And here's what we often do naturally, is we fill that gap with the worst thing rather than the best thing. I actually believe grace fills that gap with the best thing rather than the worst thing. Let me, let me pan it out to you. My, my, my wife, uh, she was a registered nurse for around 10 years. And she worked for a good portion of those 10 years in a cancer hospital. And so every day, uh, every month, every year, she would go into work and she would find young and old people suffering and dying from cancer. And over the course of year after year after year of doing that, it took a toll on her mind and it caused her with simple things in life to fill that gap with the worst thing. I mean, there were times in our marriage where I would have a weird freckle on my body or a mole or a lump, and she'd be like, you got cancer, I love you, have a nice day, it's over, right? Seriously, that would happen in our lives, and guess what? It's funny, but we do that same thing with a lot of things, where we see something happen, we see a decision made, we don't know all the details, it creates a gap, and we just automatically stick in the worst possible assumption in it. It lacks grace. We fail to give people the benefit of the doubt. Go back to the, the gas station, right? My, my wife is, is, is pumping gas and a lady's yelling at her. And I'm not going to lie, when my wife told me that story, I was like, listen, I'll go back to that gas station, I'll tell that lady what, what I think of her. <laughs> right? No one yells at my wife. But what I don't know is what that lady might be going through. You see, we we often make assumptions that we have no clue, but how how do I know that 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 woman, her grandchildren just entered the hospital and out of her pain, she's just angry? How do I know that maybe her her husband hasn't just left her? How do I know that her finances are struggling and when she's pumping gas, she's seeing the the, the thing tick up about things that she can't pay for? You just don't know. And so what we do is instead of responding out of anger and out of madness, we give people the benefit of the doubt, we give them grace. But how do we do that, right? We have to ask some strategic questions. Maybe these questions cause you to slow down a little bit. You might want to write them down. Maybe you ask the question, is it possible that there is more to the story than I can actually see? Is there more to the decision than what I know or what I can see? Maybe another question, are there tensions that that person is trying to manage that I just don't know about? Is there there something, is there a tension or a difficulty that they're facing that I can't see from the surface? Maybe ask the question, what am I not seeing that maybe they are seeing? And all these questions are are designed for you to slow down, for you to empathize and for you to seek to understand someone's situation. And what that does is it enables grace to pour out of your life because you're over you and you're thinking about somebody else. And so we can give people the benefit of the doubt. Secondly, we can stop being so critical and we can start being helpful, right? Right. People who constantly think about themselves, people puffed up with pride, the very thing that is the opposite of grace, are often critical people. I've found to be true the most critical people in this earth are the most insecure people on this earth because they don't want people to find their faults so they find everybody else's faults. And guess what we saw a lot of that in in this hard season is we saw a lot of critiques online and at work. Like there was just critique after critique about every single topic. And there's nothing wrong with thinking critically, but people who think critically find a problem and they offer a solution. Too many of us lack the grace because we often just find fault in people rather than saying, hey, let me help you get to where you want to go. Look what Ephesians 4 says. It says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment. So it says, don't don't let any unwholesome things come out of your mouth. And so what it defines as unwholesome is things that will tear people down. So like, don't, say, don't, don't bother being critical, but it says if you can edify somebody, if you can encourage someone, yeah, say that. Why? So that it will give grace to those who hear it. And one area I, I have find, found a giant weakness in my ability to give grace is actually with my children. I know many of you are grandparents or or your you're parents and you're, you're kind of grinding through those years of parenting. And what I've found to be true about myself that I'm not proud to say is I'm really good at finding faults in my kids. Like I'm really good. If you're not a parent, this is kind of like, hey, I'm learning, so I'm just giving you some lessons that I'm learning. But what's really easy when I look at Joelle and I look at Ruby Kate and I look at Malachi, it's really easy to be like, hey, don't do that. Or why did you do that? That's bad. That's wrong. And I constantly am telling them as a dad like the things they're doing wrong, and yet I often forget to show them a better way. I often forget, hey, you don't you don't want to do this, and here's why, because you want to choose this, and here's what comes with that. I don't critique them without offering them a better solution. And that's ultimately what grace is all about. Is grace. We give grace to people so it will produce the change in them that is needed. So we have to stop being so critical and start offering solutions. Don't see problems that you're not willing to help in the process with. And then, third and final, we get over ourselves by forg- forgiving others. We forgive often. Forgiveness, you think about maybe the most influential thing that God's grace has given us is. The forgiveness of our sins, our rebellion against God, right? We're all wretches, and yet we're saved through the grace of God that pours out his forgiveness over us. So we look at our past, and we see all the regret, and all the rebellion, and all the sin, and we recognize that even in the future, we have more of that because we're flawed individuals, and yet God's grace has already poured over it. It's forgiven us. And that's an amazing gift, and yet some of us today are still holding on to unforgiveness, We're lording it over people because someone hurts you. Someone inflicted pain on your life, and, and, and I get it. It's hard to forgive people who have hurt you, who have broken your trust, who have stabbed you in the back, but that's the very thing God did for you. And so grace is choosing to forgive people. And when you choose to forgive them, it doesn't mean that you're approving their behavior. It doesn't mean that you're accepting it. What it means is you're not gonna lord that over them anymore. You're not gonna hold it against them anymore. You're gonna let it go. It doesn't mean you're gonna forget the pain that was there. It doesn't mean that that situation is gonna go away in your head, but you're choosing to trust God with it. Can I tell you today, guys, people are going to hurt you. That's just a fact of life. It's going to happen regularly. We get this, right? Because we've experienced it. We've lived in it. But giving grace means I'm going to offer the same forgiveness that Christ has given me. So for those of you who are holding on to something and you're using it against somebody, would you choose to forgive them and trust God with that situation? Because again, giving grace means i got to get over me. I got to get my feelings and my thoughts and my opinions out of the equation. And when I do that, I can fill that gap with the best thing rather than the worst thing. I can offer solutions rather than critiques and I can choose to forgive because Christ has forgiven me. And if you, if you want to just sum that all up, right? If you want a tweetable statement of what it means to give grace, here's what it is. It's treat people the way you want to be treated, right? It's as simple but yet as ridiculously hard as that. Right When you find yourself in a situation where it is difficult to show kindness and show grace to somebody, put yourself in their shoes and ask yourself this question, how would I want me to respond to me in this situation? What would our lives look like? What would our marriages look like? What would our offices look like? What would our homes look like? What would our children look like? if we just lived this principle out, where we treated people the way we would want to be treated. I really think it would, it would dramatically change how we love our spouse, how we treat our children, how we teach in our classroom how we respond to difficult situations in life, how we navigate a pandemic and social unrest, when we stop for a second and put ourselves in, in the shoes of the other person and treat them like it was us. Man, I think life would, would look different. And this is a very biblical principle. Matthew 7, it says, so in everything. Okay, so the way you respond On on social media, the way you tweet, the way you email, the way you communicate, in your relationships, at your job, when you're coaching that sport, or whatever it is you're doing, it says, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Man, you know what that means? It means to give grace. Out of the overflow of what God has given you, you just give it back to other people. And yet when we talk about grace, here's here's the tension. You might be feeling it because grace does something very scary, something very uncomfortable. Because when you get to the place where you're like, okay, I've received God's grace and it's amazing, it's sweet. And out of that, I, I want today to leave here and I want to give grace to others. Here's what's scary about that. I'll warn you up front. Is grace, when you choose to give grace, giving grace, it positions you in a place to be hurt. Right, That's what's scary about grace, and that's what's scary about living in this way, is when I choose to be a gracious person, it tees me up. It puts me in a vulnerable position where people can abuse me, use me, and ultimately hurt me. And don't we spend the majority of our time building up walls and force fuels so we don't get hurt? Right that's how we all are. Right? We, we, we build these walls to protect us, our emotions, our, 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 all, all of our life, to, to, so we won't get hurt. And yet God is asking us to choose something that will put us in a place to be hurt. That doesn't make sense, does it? But yet when we do that, I actually think we look a whole lot like Jesus. Because every Sunday we celebrate the grace that God has given us that comes to us freely. We couldn't achieve it, we couldn't earn it, and so God did the work and we get it freely, but yet we often forget how much it cost Christ to give us that grace. That when he gave us grace, it put him in a position to be brutalized, to hang on a cross, and to die so you could experience what he gives to you freely. And all he asks is for us to do that in return. When we give grace to people, we might get hurt. And I want to just pause here and, and, and nuance this because I want to be careful that people don't take my words and run with them. If you are in an abusive situation, grace doesn't take you back there. Right? So if you have an abusive spouse or you're in an abusive situation where it's dangerous, grace pulls you out of that. It doesn't send you back to So be very careful, but as Christ followers, we can't be afraid to give grace and know that it might come with a cost. It might hurt us a little bit. We might lose some relationships. There might be some tensions there. We can't be afraid because that's exactly what Christ did for us. He gave us a gift that was free to us, but it crushed him. And so really, as we wind down the series, just two questions today for you. For those of you who are here today or listening online and you've never received Christ's grace, what are you waiting for? It's the best gift, I promise you, you will ever receive in your life. And so maybe today you just step and you receive God's grace. You just pour out to him and you cry out to him, I want your grace in, your, in my life, God. And I, I'm a sinner, I get it, but you saved me from that sin and you step into his grace. What are you waiting for? Or, or maybe for the vast majority of us, are you giving his grace? Or have you hoarded it? oh, God's grace is so good, and yet we don't give it to others. And my question for you is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Out of the overflow of what God has given you, our job is to pour that out to others. So will you be willing this week to give God's grace? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you how it changes us and molds us and impacts us, and it is so sweet, so sweet that it's saved wretches, not good people, through the work of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray for that person who doesn't know you, that they would receive your grace today. I pray for the Christians here today, the Christ followers who are holding on to your grace but not giving. May today just be a reminder of what we know we need to do, to give the grace that you have given us. Help us Amen. to do that in Jesus' name.